welcome to King's Cross. My name is Evan. I'm going to lead us, uh, and I'm going to go through the scripture reading for us today. Uh, our scripture comes from Luke chapter 9, if you have your Bibles. I think it will also be on the screen. Uh, we're going to look at verses 57 through 62. And as you guys get there, there it is. All right, so this is uh, God's word. Let's play, uh, pay careful attention uh, to it. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Uh, today we have a special guest. Uh, his name is Pastor uh, Ingu Peck. He's uh, formerly a missionary to the Ivory Coast. He's been serving at Onuri Church as an associate pastor. Uh, and currently lead pastor of Point Five Community uh, Ministry there. Uh, he's a good friend of King's Cross. He spoke at our retreat last year. He blessed us. So why don't we give him a warm hand as he comes up? I, okay, here we go. Good morning. Good afternoon, King's Cross. Uh, it's a tremendous honor and joy to share God's word with you again this morning. Um, as Elder Evan introduced me, uh, I just actually finished uh, my service at uh, Point Five and then drove right over here. But, uh, you know, like you mentioned, uh, King's Cross, uh, such a good friend, and Pastor Sangmin and their family has been a tremendous blessing in our lives here in Korea. So when Pastor uh, Sangmin asked me to uh, share God's word with you this morning, I couldn't refuse. So I'm pretty excited to share God's word with you today. It's very simple, uh, very simple message. It's on discipleship and uh, three easy points. There is three different people that's mentioned in the text. They all have three different excuses, and Jesus counters with uh, three of his teachings. So we're just going to go over each one, uh, three different characters, the excuses they come up with on why they can't become a disciple, and you know, the lesson that Jesus gives and how we could uh, apply that into our lives today. Uh, before I begin, can I just open, up, open us up in a word of prayer? I'll pray and then uh, we'll hear God's word together. Uh, dear Father, thank you so much for uh, gathering us here today, Lord. I pray that you uh, open our ears, uh, open our hearts, so that the words that you give us this morning may just uh, um, plant deep roots in our hearts and um, produce uh, amazing and awesome, wonderful fruit in your time, Lord. Uh, we want to leave this up, uh, time for the Holy Spirit. I pray that you guide us, you direct us, and you, guess, you give us discernment. Uh, we thank you, we love you. In your precious name we pray, amen. All right, so in our journey of faith, uh, Jesus, he calls us two times. Um, I mean, you know, you could make an argue or you could make a case that he calls us multiple times, but generally speaking, he calls us twice. And the first calling is a call to faith. 
So he comes in our lives and says, believe in me. And I'm sure, you know, you guys could remember the time where you guys uh, met Jesus intimately for the first time. I still remember the time, uh, the place, the environment, the words of affirmation, uh, encouragement he gave me. It was, you know, uh, when I was on a mission trip in the Ivory Coast. Uh, uh, funny thing is, I grew up in church my entire life, but I met God uh, on a personal, intimate level, probably in my mid-20s, and that's where you know, I gave my life to God and made a, a commitment again to uh, go into ministry. And this first calling to faith, it's really simple. It's actually pretty easy. And the reason why I'm saying that it's easy is because the writer of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, says that faith does not come from us. It's 100% a gift from God. So the reason why you're at church this afternoon, the reason why you guys profess your faith and your belief in God and, you know, you express your love for Him is not because you guys grew up in a good home. It's not because you guys are these awesome, amazing people. I'm sure you guys are, but that's not the reason at all. The reason that we are sitting here today and that we believe in God is 1,000% a gift from God. It's purely by God's grace that we believe in Jesus. Nothing else. That's why I'm saying it's easy. Now, the second call that Jesus gives us is a call to discipleship. It could be, you know, calling us into the missions field. It could be uh, calling us into ministry or, you know, serving at church. Uh, I saw announcements today for serving on the production team and praise team. We've been giving out announcements every single week, so I, I sympathize with you guys. It's not easy serving, you know, especially doing the tamak and stuff like that. But the second call, uh, call to serve or call to discipleship, it's probably one of the hardest things. And Jesus says, he doesn't say believe in me anymore because we already believe in him. What he says is, follow me, follow me. And the reason why uh, the call to obey this is hard is, as we you know, read in today's text, uh, the road to discipleship is not an easy road at all. Uh, there was a time in my life where I kind of wished where I could be like the penitent thief, uh, where I could just enjoy life. I could live life however I want, you know, enjoy all the pleasures of the world. And right before I die, I could upset Jesus Christ. Because the story of the penitent thief is like this, right? Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's about to breathe his last breath. And then there's two thieves uh, hanging to his left and to his right. One thief is just cursing, swearing at Jesus, and just, you know, saying all sorts of, nasty stuff. The other thief, on the other hand, is, you know, he's rebuking the other thief and says, why are you, you know, cursing Jesus? This man is innocent. He's, in fact, the Son of God, and he, you know, professes that Jesus is Messiah. And Jesus says to the thief, today you'll be with me in heaven, right? Today you'll be with me in paradise. And when I read that story, there is this, this you know, temptation in my heart, man, I wish I could be like that thief. Um, I don't have to come to church every Sunday. I don't have to serve. I don't have to go down this difficult road of ministry or discipleship. And right before I die, I could just buy that golden ticket and go to heaven. But there's two problems with that. One, um, we don't know when Jesus is coming. Uh, for those who check the news every day, like I do, something crazy happened in the Middle East yesterday, right? I'm sure you guys heard of it. Uh, Israel was under attack by, you know, 
Hamas and the Palestine, and just uh, we don't know the repercussions or what's that. I mean, I'm, you know, a lot of uh, political pundits are saying that there's going to be crazy stuff going down. But besides that, there were earthquakes, uh, wars, the, the ongoing war in Russia and Ukraine. And, uh, you know, I, I personally believe Jesus might come in our lifetime. And when I was a youth group student, my youth group pastor would say to me, you guys might be the first generation that never faced death. Because in your time, Jesus might come. And I was like, you know, what's he talking about? Like, I, I didn't know, you know, what he was talking about. But now, you know, the crazy world that we live in, the birth pangs are, you know, it's came coming closer and closer. The, the, the famine, the uh, crazy things that's happening in our society in America and Korea and uh, rumors of war, earthquakes, all of that stuff was predicted uh, in the book of Revelations. And Jesus is going to come. He might come today, tomorrow, next week, next year. No one knows. But one thing's for sure, he's coming, right? So one, we don't know when Jesus is coming. And two, we don't know when we're going to die. So it would be awesome if we could buy that golden ticket to heaven just like the penitent thief, but the reality is we don't know when we're going to die. And another reason is if you look in the New Testament, uh, the term or the word or the phrase Christian, it's only mentioned three times. But the word disciple, it's mentioned 269 times. So what do we get from this? Jesus is calling us to be his disciple. He doesn't want us to be a simple a follower, a fan of his, but he wants us to become his devoted disciple. And that's what we're going to talk about today, what it means and what it costs to be a disciple. So let's go back to verse um, 57. Like I mentioned, we're going to discuss three people that Jesus encounters, uh, three of their excuses and three of the points that Jesus makes. I'll just read verse, uh, verse 57 for us. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, this first person that we encounter, we don't know his name. We don't know the type of person he was. But there is something different about this encounter. Typically, it's Jesus who's going around and he sees Peter catching fish and he says, follow me. You know, he sees Matthew. He's like, follow me. He's the one who proactively recruits his disciples and, you know, he calls people to follow him. But this person in particular actually does the opposite. He approaches Jesus and he tells Jesus, hey, I want to follow you wherever you go. What does Jesus say? 58, verse 58, I'm going to read it. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, it seems like an odd response. You know, this guy is proactively coming to Jesus and says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Why would Jesus give a response like this? Why couldn't Jesus say, great, you know, you become one of my 12 disciples. We'll make it 13. Or why couldn't Jesus, like, encourage him? Why does Jesus, it seems like he is just pouring cold water on this, you know, this guy who seems full of fire. And the reason why Jesus said this is because Jesus already knew this person's intent. He already knew his heart. So he's challenging him. Um, what we could assume from this text is this guy who came up to Jesus first wasn't really interested in being Jesus' disciple. I think what he wanted was part of Jesus' fame because uh, Luke chapter 9 is around the time where probably Jesus' uh, popularity was at its peak. You know, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people were just uh, gathering wherever he spoke and the reason why people were gathering is because he was, um, you know, sharing God's word. He was healing the sick. He was casting demons away from the possessed. Not only that, when people were hungry, he was just multiplying bread and fish. 
he was giving them pretty much everything, and Jesus had a lot of followers, but Jesus didn't want followers. He wanted disciples, and I think he knew this person's intent, and he knew his heart. So what he wanted was probably a part of Jesus' fame, and he also knew that uh, what his expectation of following Jesus was, that Jesus was going to be this political savior. He was going to save Israel from the Roman Empire because uh, by, during that time, Israel was a colony of the Roman Empire. So he thought that Jesus was going to be this political savior, king, and he wanted a seat at the table. You know, He wanted to be famous like Jesus. He wanted to have power, riches, whatever it entailed. And he had this complete different expectation from what a true disciple is. And that's why Jesus uses this specific phrase, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So he's pretty much telling him, hey man, you follow me? It's not some kind of extravagant lifestyle that you're expecting. It's going to be completely different. In fact, I didn't come here, I didn't come to this world to be served. I came to serve. As I was reflecting upon this uh, message, um, you know, uh, man, when I was younger, I was able to go anywhere. Like, I was on fire, man. I was like, you know, God, Africa, Middle East, no problem. I'll go wherever. And uh, when we used to go on the missions field, we used to rough it out, uh, sleep in the cardboard, you know, just uh, towel and then sleep in the rain, like all that stuff, right? But the older I get, if I do that, my back hurts the next day. I can't sleep on the floor anymore. I'm dying. I'm struggling. Uh, recently went to the Middle East. Jet lag was so bad. Like two weeks, I couldn't sleep at night. I realized I'm, I'm not the same guy I used to be, you know. I, I'm, you know, getting comfortable in my skin, you know, getting used to the lifestyle that I have, and I'm becoming complacent. And that's what Jesus is uh, challenging us today. It's if our lifestyle is too complicated to pick up and leave when Jesus calls us to, when he says, follow me, we have to reconsider our lifestyle. We need to simple it down. We need to simplify our lives. If, if my career is too entrenched where I am, where I just can't pick up and leave, we can't be followers of Christ. We can't have both, you know. We can't enjoy the world and have God, you know. Um, that's what Jesus was challenging uh, this person. And another thing what he's challenging is um, sometimes we come with different expectations, you know, regarding ministry, regarding, you know, church, our community, our small groups, or, you know, our circle of friends that God has given us. And once those expectations aren't met, we just choose to leave, you know. Sometimes, you know, serving in ministry, it's a thankless job, you know. No one's going to really appreciate you or recognize, you know, all the hard work you put in. And once we endure a season of just being underappreciated or not appreciated at all and no one recognizes you, man, it, it challenges you to the core, you know. And what Jesus is saying, you know, whatever expectations you have, we need to let that go. We need to let that down. And we just, once we decide on becoming a follower of Christ, we need to embrace the simple life, embrace the simple faith. You know, don't make it too complicated. In fact, three of the major Jewish feasts, uh, the Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, everything is gearing and teaching the Israelites to live a simple sojourner life. For example, uh, 
Feast of Unleavened Bread, they eat the bread without the yeast because yeast symbolizes the sin or pride and a little bit of sin that enters our heart or a little bit of pride that enters our hearts. It's going to just blow up the bread and you know, blow up our pride and our sin. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Israelites spent a week, you know, the whole family, they left the comforts of their home and they slept in tents outside as a, you know, they're commemorating the time that the Israelites spent in the wilderness where God provided manna, uh, provided a quail. Um, you know, when it was hot, he gave a shade of clouds. When it was cold at night, he gave a pillar of fire and God was just providing 100% for the Israelites and they were remembering that. And I think one of the biggest challenges today that goes against being a disciple of, uh, of Jesus is we're too comfortable. We have become way too complacent. We have certain kinds of expectations, whether it be in ministry, whether it be in life, and Jesus is challenging us. When you follow me, you follow me. Okay? You don't follow your heart. You don't follow your ambition, but follow me. Okay? So that's the first person. Uh, the first excuse he had, the first uh, person excuse, and Jesus' lesson for that person. Second person that we encounter in the story is verse 59. I'll read it for us. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. All right, so we see a second um, character in today's story. Now, this part, this part and the next part is going to be a little bit hard to swallow because, you know, what's wrong with burying our father, you know? Like, let's say that your dad passed away and, you know, you need to have a funeral procession for him and Jesus is saying, let the dead bury the dead and, you know, you follow me. You go proclaim the gospel. Like, isn't that a little bit unreasonable? Isn't that a little bit... Extreme, you might say. In verse 60, uh, verse 60 I'll, I'll read it for us. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now again, this is kind of an extreme case because um, just to remind you guys, Jesus knew their hearts and he's coming at them. He's challenging their hearts. So Jesus' response might seem a little bit unreasonable, but there is a reason why he's doing it. Because again, he knows their hearts. Uh, during that time, funeral procession, uh, it went on for a week, sometimes two weeks. It could go on, uh, morning period could go on as long as, as a month. So when Jesus called this person to follow me, and he says, Jesus, let me go bury my father first. What Jesus is challenging is his heart, because if he really wanted to be a follower of Jesus Christ, he would say, Jesus, let me go, uh, you know, bury my father and I'll be back in two days or I'll be back in three days. Just give me some time. But this person, he didn't give Jesus a definitive answer and he was kind of just throwing out there. Let me, let me take care of my family stuff first and then when time allowed, uh, allows, when time, when time permits, I'll come back to you. So there's two takeaways that we could get from this. Uh, again, I don't think Jesus is minimizing our pain. He's not saying that burying our deceased family, um, you know, going through a traumatic experience, uh, losing a loved one is not important at all. Uh, he wept when, you know, some of his people he loved dearly died. So Jesus is not some someone without compassion or he's not that person. But what he is challenging is, one, our priorities, and two, our past hurt and our past suffering. Because what he's challenging this person right now, when he says, let the dead bury the dead, and again, he's making a kind of extreme case out of this, is he doesn't want us to be hindered by our past. 
He doesn't want our past to become a present and a future stumbling block in our relationship with Jesus, in our walk of faith, in discipleship. Because, believe it or not, there are people who cannot go forward because of the hurts or because of the trauma they have experienced in the past. And again, I don't want to trivialize your pain or your past or your trauma that you had, but in order for us to become a disciple of Jesus, and although his teachings are hard to swallow, we need to learn how to move forward. And not with just our strength, but relying on God, following Jesus. And these words, um, you know, you meditate on it, you reflect on it, and it's really a hard pill to swallow, but I was able to actually understand this a little bit more uh, through a, uh, you know, a family friend or a person in, in the ministry. Um, uh, there was an elder. Uh, he recently became ordained. Um, you know, it's really hard to become an elder at Onuri, but he just you know, put in so much of his passion, um, time, resources into ministry. You know, he was very well loved and recognized, and he became an elder. But within a couple months of becoming an elder, uh, they found uh, cancer. I think it was in his pancreas, and within a year, he passed away. And um, it was just a terrible, terrible tragedy for you know, Point Five for our community. We all mourn, but his wife took it especially hard, uh, to the point where she was no longer able to come to church because coming to church just reminded her of her husband, um, who God has taken away, and. For a long time, it just took it took her a long time to recover from that past hurt, from that lost. Um, you know, again, I, I do not want to trivialize her, minimize her pain. I I have never lost a spouse, so I don't know what it feels like, and I don't even want to think about what it is to lose a wife. But I think what Jesus is challenging us is ultimately our priority. Even though we love our spouse, even though we love our family, Jesus has to come first beyond that. Uh, in Korea, uh, you know, I do a lot of marriage counseling, and I always challenge them on priority. It's probably one of the most important topics I talk about. And in marriage counseling, uh, the, thing I, the point I really like to drive home is we need to set our priorities straight. So I say that in, in marriage, you know, before the spouse, God has to be the center of your relationship. God has to come first, and then it's the spouse, and then it's ch- your children. But in Korea, the funny thing is, everything is just jijuk bakju, meaning that everything is just like upside down and mixed order. For example, because uh, the roles of a husband and wife is so cl- clearly defined, oftentimes than not, we see the wife focusing on the children first. So it's kind of like children, God, and then will be her husband last. And what happens is, the mom's ultimate goal is sending their children to the Korean Ivy School, right? We call it the sky, right? And once they accomplish that, you know, they kind of have this void. They don't, no longer, you know, have, you know, a purpose in their life. And what's a, what's a father's, uh, in a Korean society, what's the father's role? It's like, he needs to be a good dad. And what does it entail becoming a good dad? Sending their kids to Hagwon, right? Making enough money so that their kids receive good education, so that they could go to Ivy League, um, uh, that they live in an apartment in Seoul. So the father becomes a workaholic and he kind of pretty much neglects his family. And you know, a lot of times we see cases where you know, fathers are unfaithful, but because he is doing his job as a father and making money, 
you know, all things are kind of forgiven. And what happens is, you know, um, a lot of these fathers, they go into early retirement. He comes home and he becomes a stranger at home. And there's a Korean joke. Uh, Korean fathers who retire early and they expect three meals from the wife. The wife calls them sekki, right? Which is like a kind of a bad word in Korean. But that's the kind of like the, the society that we're living in where, you know, the husband is no longer welcome at home. He has no relationship with his wife because he became a workaholic. He has no relationship with his kids because he's just working all the time. Kids are in hagon all the time. So once this priority becomes upside down, everything crumbles. Marriage crumbles, family crumbles. So on paper, they're married, but in actuality, they're not, it's not a biblical marriage. And uh, when I received marriage counseling from my pastor, who did, uh, my wife and I, he did our marriage counseling, this is one of the points he drove home to. Like, you need to prioritize God above everything else. He needs to be the center of your relationship, and then it's you, and then it's each other, and then your children uh, come last. And um, funny story to share on priority is, uh, when my first son was about like I think like six months old, um, my wife would always tell me to you know do the seatbelt when I was um, driving around in, in in the baby chair in the baby cart, and of course being a guy, I wanted to show him a good time, and I was racing, I was going fast, and I hit a curb, and of course he didn't have his uh, seatbelt on, and right in front of the cart there was like this um, cinder block or something, so. If he hit that head-on, it could have been a pretty serious, serious disaster. But luckily, he kind of went over that, and he did fall face first, and his whole face was bloodied and scratched. And this is like the first time where he, he was hurt pretty badly. So, you know, we both rushed him back to our apartment, and we were wiping away the blood. And I could feel my wife stare at me. Like, I was going to, you know, I was going to hear it from her. And... Um, I remember the first thing that popped into my mind, I was like, honey, I'm so sorry for what I did. I should have put on the seatbelt. I'm so sorry, but you need to prioritize me. Right? I know that you're upset that our son <laughs> is hurt, but you need to prioritize me. And my wife was able to, you know, instead of like getting, uh, you know, scolding from her, we were able to pass that moment and Again, the reason I went off a little bit tangent here, but priority, okay? priority. In marriage, in our life, God has to come first, and that's what he's challenging us in the second point, okay? that he needs to come first no matter what, and we can't let our, 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 our past uh, become a stumbling block for our present. And Hebrews chapter 3.15, uh, this is what it says, as, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And one of the excuses that we make is, you know what, um, yeah, I, you know, God spoke to me today, but I'm too busy right now. I'm going to obey him next week. You know, I'm going to really follow him when things settle down, things become less busy in a month. But today, when you hear his word, do not harden your hearts like in the rebellion, but we need to obey today. And that's the challenge that God is giving us today. Last person or last character that Jesus encounters, um, and then we'll close today's message. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me say, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit 
for the kingdom of God. So we see the last uh, character in today's message. Uh, Jesus, you know, calls this guy to be his follower, you know, follow me. He says, I will follow the Lord, but let me say first farewell to those at my home. So again, you know, as we kind of delve into this text, what's wrong with saying goodbye to your family first? Like, is Jesus so unreasonable to the point where we can't even say goodbye to our families before becoming a disciple of Christ? But again, Jesus knew his heart, and what he was challenging is, ultimately, this guy had no intention of following Jesus. I mean, he might have. I wouldn't say he had zero intentions, but what he had in his heart was he had a dual or split heart because the moment he goes home, he was going to weigh his options. He's going to be like, okay, what is it going to cost me to follow Jesus? And what is it going to cost me to not follow Jesus? And he was probably thinking in his heart, I'm going to follow what's best for me. I'm going to take the the big road, the wide path, the big, you know, the easy lifestyle, the big door. And I'm sure Jesus knew what was in his heart and he wanted to challenge that because his following was conditional. Okay? I'll follow you, but let me first do this. It's not like, you know, I'm going to drop everything, I'm going to prioritize you first, but his following of Jesus was conditional. It depended on something. I need to do something first and then I'll follow you. And that's what Jesus was challenging uh, the third person today. And he mentions in uh, verse 62, the plow, right? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And we might be wondering, why does Jesus mention a plow? Like, what's the illustration here? Like, what's the, what point is he trying to drive here? And I think what Jesus was mentioning is, he was mentioning to the text, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses um, 19 to 21. I'm just going to read it for us. This is where Elijah calls Elijah. Uh, verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elijah, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So there's a couple of things that sticks out to me um, in this particular text is Elijah was probably a wealthy guy, right? The fact that he had 12 pairs of oxen during that time must have meant that he had the resources, he probably had the land, his family was uh, extremely wealthy, but when Elijah calls him, he does something, right? In verse 21, and he returned from following him and he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed him. So first he makes a sacrifice to God. And then he boiled their flesh with the yolks of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. So pretty much what he did was he threw a kogi party for his village. Like he threw a meat party, like barbecue. He's like, you know what? This is my farewell and I'm going to throw a barbecue for you guys. And the reason why this is important is he's making a public declaration that I'm leaving. You know, I'm going to be a disciple and I'm not coming back. And the reason why he's not coming back is he burned something and what he burned was he burned the tools, right? The yokes with the yokes of the oxen. So he's saying that I'm no longer going to come back to what I was doing. I'm giving away my occupation. I'm actually making a huge sacrifice. I'm making a public declaration and I'm not coming back. There's no 
turning back for, for me. And this is the path of a disciple, right? If we leave, like, wiggle room to come back, uh, wiggle room, you know what, I'm just going to try it out, you know, whatever, you know, this calling is to become a disciple. And if it doesn't work out for me, if this is not the path for me, you know, I have plan B. I have other exit plans. Um, I just want to close with this. Uh, it's the story of William Borden. He was a missionary. Uh, do we have the, the, the slide? Okay, there we go. He was born in 1887. He was born to a very wealthy family, and he was to inherit his father's uh, tremendous wealth. But he you know, personally encountered God in his high school days. Right? He met God. He was on fire for God. And as a high school graduation gift, his parents gave him a tour of the world. So, you know, they gave him money and he, he was able to tour the world. And mind you, it's not like present day where he could just hop on a plane and go to different continents. It actually required a lot of resources, a lot of money, a lot of time to do a world tour. But his parents did it for him. They wanted to invest in him. They wanted to become like a global businessman. So he, he did it. But as he was traveling through different continents like Asia, Africa, Europe, everywhere, God gave him, uh, gave him a heart for global missions. So he writes a letter, you know, to his parents. Um, you know what, Dad? I, I want to become a missionary. Right? I want to give my life to God. And his dad puts his foot down and says, no, no way. You know, you come back home, you finish college first, and then we'll see what happens. So he ultimately he obeyed his dad and he went back. But he still had that missional calling. Like, you know, he still wanted to become a missionary. And, you know, he made a promise to God. And he wrote in his journal, or he wrote in his Bible, the two words that he wrote was, no reserves, no reserves, meaning that he was just going to pour out, empty everything for God. He was just going to go all out for God. And that was um, his first thing that he wrote in his Bible. Uh, he goes to college. He went to Yale. Um, and he finds out that college lifestyle was very secular. It was completely different than what he had expected. And again, he was still on fire for God. And there was a model that he lived by. And his uh, motto was, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. And these were the words that he lived by. So he kind of felt called to start a prayer ministry, right? And he's like, you know, how am I supposed to do it? What am I supposed to do? But God kept on pressing his heart. And because his motto was say no to self and yes to God every single time, he decides to start a prayer ministry. He started off as two people. By the time he was a senior, at Yale, the student body was about 1,300 students. By the time he graduated, they said that more than 1,000 people were involved in this prayer ministry. So what started off as a two people and what started off as a simple obedience and faith to God kind of blew up into this uh, crazy prayer gathering. And his dad actually ended up passing away when he was in college. He inherited tremendous family wealth, but he didn't take it. Instead, after he graduated college, he obeyed God, and he went to the missions field. And those two words that he wrote was no retreats, meaning that he wasn't going to turn back. He's going to become a missionary. He's going to uh, leave his family fortune to his family, and he wasn't coming back. He wasn't leaving any wiggle room. It was kind of like Elijah burning the yoke, uh, burning his tools and saying, I'm not coming back, you know, public declaration. And at that time, you know, a lot of people were saying, this guy is crazy. He's wasting his life. But that's the commitment he made. He says, I'm not looking back. I'm not turning back. God gave him a heart for China and especially for the uh, Muslim population there in the provinces of Kansu, I think, Kansu. So because he wanted to share God's word with the Muslim population there, 
he wanted to learn Arabic first. So he ended up actually going to Egypt to study the culture and the language. And within about a month of arriving in Egypt, he gets sp spinal meningitis. Um, at that time, you know, medicine was not that evolved, so he ends up dying. He dies. But right before he died, the last two words he wrote in his Bible, his journal, was no regrets. No regrets. Because at that time, a lot of people were pointing fingers. A lot of people were criticizing him. What a waste of life. You know, at 25 years old, you know, he wasted his life. He could have been a, a very successful, wealthy, lived a comfortable life, had everything just laid out before him, done everything. But what a waste. Why did, did, he, even, why did he even go to Egypt in the first place, you know? And as Christians, we kind of often wonder, like, why didn't God lead him to China? Like, why couldn't he become a successful and old missionary and retire and just, you know, enjoy life? But one thing we learn from this, um, through his testimony, William Borden's testimony, his three simple words, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets, a call to discipleship. Thousands, and they say that tens of thousands of people gave their life to God became an amazing testimony. Friends, um, I know today's word uh, wasn't easy to swallow, you know, um, simplifying our life, you know, we're, we become accustomed to a certain lifestyle, we have grown complacent, you know, I, I'll be the first one to admit it, I'm comfortable, you know, I, I don't want to be challenged, I don't want to rough it out, but again, what it means to be a disciple of Christ, when Jesus says, follow me, we got to be ready to leave, at any given time, we're, we're, we're called to be sojourners. You know, th th this place that we're living in, this is not our final resting place. Our, our final resting place is with God in heaven, and that's where we're going to be spending eternity. So God wants us to focus there. And two, when he says, follow me, um, sometimes we cannot let our past becoming a stumbling block into following him. And sometimes we have to really set our priorities straight. So I want to challenge you today. Like, What's the reason we're working so hard for, you know? Like Korean life, uh, whether it be Korean life or American life, we work so much, right? Everything's so hectic, but w why are we living like that? If we lose the essence, which is Jesus Christ, there's no reason for us to be working like that. So I just want to, again, challenge you today to refocus our attention and refocus uh, our priorities. And third and last, do we have one foot in church? one foot in the world? Are we trying to enjoy best of the both worlds? Are we trying to kind of weigh, you know, what's, what's my benefit of, you know, becoming a disciple of Christ? What's my benefit of not becoming uh, a disciple of Christ? Do we have that double lifestyle? I want to challenge you guys. So again, I want to close with three words that William Borden lived by, and I pray that we, we commit our lives to becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Um, I'll close this in prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word today. I know a call to discipleship is not an easy path, and we must take the narrow path, and we must go into the small door, but this is what you have called us to, and you want us to focus on the unseen. You want us to focus on your ever everlasting kingdom, Lord. I pray that as we rededicate, recommit our lives, Lord, I pray that you give us the faith. I pray that you give us uh, uh, discernment, wisdom, and insight to heed and follow your call. We thank you. We love you. 
In your precious name we pray, amen.